The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. 40% of premature deaths in the U.S. are attributable to daily decisions we make about what to eat and drink, whether or not to smoke, whether to be physically active, whether to buckle our seatbelts when we get into cars. If I could better understand how to improve people's daily decisions, if I could devote my career and figure out what's the best science we can use to make a dent in that, it has just enormous potential for impact. Hey, everybody. It's a new week here at the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnat, and this week we're going to talk about how to change. Oh, I know, you're perfect just the way you are, but I also imagine there might be some room for improvement. Is there a bad habit you'd like to break or a good one you'd like to instill? Is there some gap between who you are now and who you'd like to be? If not, God bless you. You can skip the next few episodes. But if, like most of the human race, there are a few corners of your personality that could use some sprucing up, a few behaviors that are less than ideal, welcome. I'm going to be talking to Katie Milkman. She's a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and one of the country's leading experts on behavior change. In fact, she wrote a book called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Now, Katie's not a psychologist. She's actually what's known as a behavioral economist. And as such, she takes a very practical, structural approach to habit formation. One of her key points is that there's not one single approach that's going to help with all your problems. It's not that you just need to think positive or get more motivated or set bigger goals. Instead, you need to tailor specific approaches to whatever it is you want to change. Here's Katie to explain. Tailored attacks work better than one-size-fits-all solutions. I'll start with some bad news. Most attempts at change fail. Part of the explanation for that is that change is hard. But a more helpful explanation is that we don't typically think strategically about change. Instead, we try to deploy one-size-fits-all solutions that sound useful, like setting big audacious goals or visualizing success. But the thing that I've discovered in a career devoted to studying behavior change is that change comes most readily when you size up what's standing in your way and then tailor your solution to match that obstacle. Let me take a simple example that I'll come back to a few times because it's so relatable. Say the change you want to make is getting yourself to the gym regularly. If you're not getting to the gym because you find workouts miserable, the best way to change your habits and build a workout routine is going to be really different than if you love exercise, but just keep forgetting to plan time for the gym. I was trained as an engineer, and I found that thinking about change like an engineer can really come in handy. You have to figure out what forces are working against you, and then science has lots of insights to offer about what exactly you can do to overcome those particular obstacles. Katie Milkman, welcome to the Next Big Idea Daily. Thank you so much for having me. Now, tell me what you do for a living. You study behavior change, is that right? I mean, I didn't even know that was like a discipline. It's the coolest job ever, right? 
Yes, I am a behavioral scientist at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and I co-direct an initiative called the Behavior Change for Good Initiative that focuses on figuring out how can we create positive behavior change in health, finances, and education through science. How did you get interested in that as of all the things that you could have focused on in this field? I think actually the field I'm in, which is really the field of behavioral economics, was really founded on the idea that people are suboptimal decision-making machines. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's a bit of an insult, but I like to say when I make mistakes, well, it's a good thing I do because otherwise I wouldn't have a job. So Danny Kahneman, who's probably a familiar name to many listeners, author of the best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow, did seminal work in the 1970s with Amos Tversky, essentially showing that people make mistakes. And then the whole field of behavioral economics is built on establishing what are the ways in which people deviate from making optimal choices as predicted by a standard economic model. So it was all about the ways we were broken. And just about the time I started going to graduate school, there was a new movement brewing to say, okay, well, if we're broken, can we fix it? What are the ways that we can actually solve this problem? I'd say that came out of the nudge revolution that was started by Cass Sunstein and Richard Thaler. And again, another best-selling book, Nudge, is really all about how organizations and policymakers can fix the ways humans are broken through policy. And my research is very related to that stream, but it essentially says, yeah, but people want to fix themselves too. So it's not just that we need organizations and policymakers to be thinking about ways in which people make suboptimal choices and trying to restructure things to help, but people will want to make the best possible decisions they can as well. I found that very compelling and exciting as a as a way to spend my time. And P.S., it resonated with my personal experience, which is that I make lots of mistakes. Everyone I know makes lots of mistakes, but we're all striving to get better and be nice if science could help. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. I mean, it seems like almost the most self-helpy of disciplines. So do you find yourself constantly using yourself as a, a test subject, your friends and family? I do lots of me search. Absolutely. But even though I think there's inspiration in my own life and in the lives of the people around me, the bigger inspiration comes from an opportunity to help society at large. The sort of big aha moment for me that redirected my research efforts in a focused way in this direction was actually about a decade ago when I saw a pie chart demonstrating the percentage of premature deaths in the U.S. that could be attributed to different causes. But what blew my mind was that actually the largest wedge in that pie chart looked at daily decisions we make. So 40% of premature deaths in the U.S. are attributable to daily decisions we make about what to eat and drink, whether or not to smoke, whether to be physically active, whether to buckle our seatbelts when we get into cars. And the fact that that was such a big contributor It was really a big moment for me to recognize, okay, if I could better understand how to improve people's daily decisions, if Mm -hmm. I could devote my career and figure out what's the best science we can use to make a dent in that, it has just enormous potential for impact. So you say one-size-fits-all solutions tend not to work. What are some examples of a one-size-fits-all solution that people might try to apply to their behavior change? Yeah, great question. Think positive thoughts is a Mm. great example of a one-size-fits-all. Let me set up a reminder schedule 
to make sure that I don't forget to pursue this goal would be a one-size-fits-all, which, P.S., will help many people because lots of us are forgetful. But for those of us where forgetting has nothing to do with it, that's going to be useless. So you're saying that we need to dig into the specifics of the problem we're trying to address and figure out what the obstacles are and then tailor a solution to that specific problem. Yeah. And I think I think an example that makes this clear is if you think about going into the doctor with a headache, you might just get a prescription for Tylenol. But ideally, you have a doctor who's going to think carefully about the underlying causes and tailor their approach, right? right? Could it be a lack of sleep? Is it a brain tumor and we need to do an MRI? Is it some sort of virus? What right. What are the problems? We might treat it differently. And ideally, the same is true. In the case of behavior change, we might want to understand, is it an issue of forgetting, planning, Mm. making time and space in your schedule? Is it an issue of misery when you try to pursue the goal? You find it so unpleasant that you just can't motivate yourself in the heat of the moment. Is it an issue of confidence? You actually don't believe you have it in you and we need to change your underlying beliefs about your capabilities. Mm -hmm. Are there bad habits or structures in your environment that are getting in the way and making this too hard that need to be adjusted. So what is the barrier is the first question to ask so that you can design an appropriate solution just as you'd want a good doctor to try to understand the source of a medical malady before prescribing a solution. I'm going to ask you to analyze me and my problem as as a test case. <laughs> I, Just to be clear, I'm not a therapist. I, I, I know, but I, <laughs> I'll I, do my I'm best. I'm sure everyone treats you like one, and I and I plan <laughs> to as well. But maybe you'll help me see where the problem lies. You're an engineer, if not a therapist, and so maybe we can <laughs> break this down. All right, here's my problem. I tend to let things pile up on my desk and around the house in general, and then it becomes this big project to clean up and I procrastinate on that and don't want to do it. I would really like to develop the behavior of tidying up as I go, of just keeping my space neat on an ongoing basis. And I'm not really sure where to start or what the nature of the resistance is. And as a behavioral economist, as a behavioral scientist, what would be an approach that I could use to look at this? Because you described it as too big for you to see how to attack, one thing that research points to can be helpful when that is an issue is actually taking that big goal and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. Now, that sounds sort of obvious, but let me tell you about a study that illustrates how simple and powerful this can be. Anish Rai, who's a PhD student of mine, did some really neat work that I got to be involved with where we partnered with an organization that was driven by volunteering Mm -hmm. hours. It's called Crisis Text Line, and the whole organization operates on volunteer effort. And every volunteer for Crisis Text Line agrees to spend 200 hours per year supporting people in crisis through this text-based system after going through a really rigorous training. But the challenge for this organization, like many others, is that a lot of people, that's a big goal they've agreed to. Yeah, it's daunting, but will they really do their weekly bit and chip away at that 200 hours? So they consistently remind volunteers about that commitment, the 200 hours they've committed to, and do a little each week, please. That's how we achieve our goals as an organization. They wanted to do better. And we said, you know, research suggests 
that it can be powerful to just break that big goal down. And we said, let's test it. Let's run an A-B test. Let's change your reminders up and see what happens when instead of saying, you know, 200 hours yearly, try to do a little every week, we say, that's actually just four hours a week. We also tried saying it's actually just eight hours every two weeks because maybe that flexibility would help. Hmm. And what we found is actually either of those alternative reminders highlighting the bite-sized piece you could achieve either in a weekly or bi-weekly dosage increased volunteering by 8%. A simple change in the framing to highlight that big goal and break it down into a bite-sized piece. So you may want to think about what's the bite-sized chunk. It sounds like if you are overwhelmed by a cluttered desk, maybe the bite-sized chunk is you're going to put away four items from your desk at the end of every day. I made that number up completely. (laughs) You should (laughs) think about one that's achievable for you. You know exactly how big the pile is and how many items roughly you need to chip away at it. Yeah, it's daunting. numbers, concrete numbers can be really helpful. Targets and goal setting in general is helpful. And then importantly, you don't want it to be sort of like, by the end of the year, I'm going to get this clutter cleaned up. It's what's the daily bite you can take out of it. Okay, time for me to wrap up this podcast and tidy my desk a little. That's the habit I'm going to work on this week. What's yours? Is there some behavior you'd like to change that you can tackle this week with Katie's help? Tomorrow, she'll be back to tell us when the best time to start your habit change is. It's not random, but you don't have to wait for New Year's Eve either. Join us tomorrow to find out how to use your calendar as a tool for change. If you just can't wait, download our Next Big Idea app and search for Katie Milkman. You'll find all of her key insights and even a whole video e-course she created for us on how to change. In any case, I hope to see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.